Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I'm co-host Connor McNamara-Stratton. And that is right. Do not adjust your uh, podcast player. It's not a Friday. It's uh, not even the right Friday if it was a Friday. Big news in the literary world. 2021 National Book Awards have been announced, which, of course, includes the National Book Award in Poetry. And we are here to talk mainly about the winner, Martina Spada, and his winning book, Floaters, colon, Poems. Um, and the, the title poem floaters, but also talk a little bit about the, the long list and the other finalists, but you know, big doings in the literary world. It's time for a special episode of close talking. We are mere hours away from the announcement of this year's national book award winner. But of course, along with a winner, there's always finalists and a long list. Um, so quickly to go through the long list, uh, a couple of familiar names to listeners of this podcast. The Wild Fox of Yemen by Threa Almantasser, which we talked about uh, the poem Why I Am Silent About the Lament back on episode 138, which is a poem that she translated and that she's written about. It wasn't a poem originally written by her, but, you know, she translated it. She's written about it. And it did appear it is in the Wild Fox of Yemen. And then we also talked about... Uh, the Nightmare Touched Its Forehead to My Lips in episode 142, which is from The Vault by Andres Serpa. So that was also on the long list. And then there are a few other long listed titles. Do you want to go through those ones, Connor? Yeah, we got um, Ghost Letters by Baba Baji, Master Suffering by C.M. Burroughs, and Twice Alive by Forrest Gander. So obviously a lot of good stuff there. You really can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong. The one no, thing you, you can go long because you can't go wrong with that long list. That's true. Here's the thing. You know, there's the two big poetry awards. Um, there's the national book. There's the Pulitzer. There's also the book critics, which is wonderful. Um, 
the Pulitzer does it in a way where they just announce the winner and then they announce the two others that have been the finalists, um, which has its own merits. One thing I like about the National Book Award, they have a big long list, then they have a short list, then they have the winner. I just, all of the, all of the collections are so good. Um, I appreciate having the long list and just being like, wow, these are, you know, here's a, a large selection of excellent books that came out uh, recently that I should check out. So, And we should note that the jury that was sort of making all these decisions and whittling down and putting this list together that reviewed many, many more books, obviously, than even made these lists. Uh, the jury chair was A. Van Jordan, who actually ended up announcing the winner. And then on the jury were Don Mee Choi, Natalie Diaz, Matea Harvey, and Ilya Kaminsky. So a pretty incredible jury of folks uh, reading and, and thinking about, and I'm sure discussing at great length, these uh, different collections. So that's the long list. Getting into the finalists a little bit very quickly before we sort of drill into Martina Spada and floaters, there was What Noise Against the Cane by Desiree C. Bailey, which you'll be unsurprised to hear came from Yale University Press because it was from the 2020 Yale series of Younger Poets. Obviously, there's a lot of notable past winners there, including Similar to the long list, names that will be familiar to listeners of Close Talking, Eduardo Corral, who we talked about in episode 24, Fatty Judah, who was on episode 88, and also the recent rebroadcast of that episode, which is 143, and Richard Sykin, who we talked about on 114. Um, and that is a really old prize that goes back to like 1918, one of the oldest poetry prizes. So obviously that is, not only is that, you know, a book that stands on its own, but also if you're a Yale Younger Poets, it's like a signpost of someone to just sort of be aware of and watch as they continue to grow and and do their kind of poetic work. Desiree C. Bailey is from Trinidad and Tobago, and a lot of her writing is about her sort of Caribbean heritage and also investigating what it means to be Black in the United States and mixing together those different uh, sort of lived realities and storytelling and folklore traditions as well. So a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, another of the finalists um, was Show by Douglas Kearney, um, who is a marvelous poet uh and currently teaching at the university of minnesota hey hey uh Kearney's published many many books and does a lot of amazing things um sort of oracularly as well as typographically visually on the page um this particular book show uh quote you know navigates the complex penetrability of language um, these poems are sonic in their espousal of Black vernacular strategies uh, while examining histories and current events through the lyric, brand new dances and other performances. Um, yeah, I, just... I would say if there was one winner that would have been the biggest challenge for us to discuss in an audio medium, <laughs> it would have been show. There's, so there is a finalist's reading uh, that the National Book Awards 
or I guess the National Book Foundation hosted and uh, all of the various finalists read from all the categories. But uh, in it, Douglas Kearney reads the poem show and that reading is really something else. Hi, I'm Douglas Kearney and this is Show, the title poem from Show. Some need some body or more to ape sweat on some site. Bloody pearl or dirty spit hocked up for the show who gets eaten. Rig body up, bow bow to breeze a lazed jig and sway to Griggs good fiddling. Pine deep dusk, a spot where stood body. Thus they clap when I mount bonk, jig up the lectern, bow to say it's all good. We gathered, withstood the bends of dives deep darker as i get down he is one of the most singular and fantastic readers of his own work i had the the privilege at one awp uh to listen to him read a poem and i mean unforgettable um and part of it is just the the poems that he's writing his you know uh, his formal range, but he also has a um, an operatic background, I believe. Um, and so the performative part of the performance, <laughs> many, many poets who are wonderful poets are like, well, I'm going to read the words and I'll read them clearly and with the rhythm that the syntax provides. And honestly, that's what I do. And um, that's really good. And Douglas Kearney uh, makes full use of the uh, vocal possibilities. Um, so I, I really recommend checking him out. It is interesting because he talks about using like performative typography and getting really inventive with everything from Emily Dickinson, like injections of lots of dashes and other kinds of punctuation to like really kind of out there layouts on the page. Um, but it is mirrored in the performance, which I think is not always the case with folks who are so dedicated to like making the on the page experience so intense in that way um, to have it be matched by an equally intense like ability to perform and creative thinking around performance and, and presentation is like really, really cool. Um, another finalist was A Thousand Times You Lose Your Treasure by Hua Wen, which was from Wave Books the not premise necessarily but like the main uh subject of this book immediately grabs you uh here's the description it's about the poet's mother who was a stunt motorcyclist in an all-women vietnamese circus troupe like it's one of those things where you learn by like wow i i need to know everything i can possibly find out about this um <laughs> She's an incredible poet from 1998 to 2003 was the co-founder and editor of Skanky Possum, which was a, an independent literary journal at the time uh, for publishing, you know, a lot of big name and experimental names in poetry, doing a lot of really great work there. Um, and she talks about really kind of interestingly a lot of the the way that like folk music and folk music traditions and singer-songwriter traditions influence her work um just in reading about 
not only her influences generally, but specifically what she was sort of thinking of as she was working on this uh, book that engaged so deeply with like family history and also kind of mythology and storytelling, um, reading a little bit about how she thought about narrative and about storytelling through music, both American folk music and Vietnamese folk music was really uh, interesting and something that I will definitely be uh, bringing to my reading of the book when I finally get to read the whole book. Yeah, and the the last finalist, um, apart from floaters, of course, was um, the sunflower cast a spell to save us from the void by Jackie Wang, um, which was with Nightboat Books. Um, another wonderful long named um, book. I really would say. good. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of in a totally other direction. Um, it's, yeah, the, the kind of blurb, sort of short description of it, um, quote, by sharing her personal index of dreams with its scenes of solidarity and resilience, interpersonal conflict and outlaw juissance, uh, Wang embodies historical trauma and communal memory. Here, the ultra-familiar interplay between crisis and resistance becomes first distorted, then clarified and refreshed. Um, yeah, so that a lot of kind of interior dreamlike poems. Um, and yeah, um, and I am very excited to check it out. It's been like on my list and it's from Nightboat Books, which is one of my favorite presses. And I, I had the, <laughs> the privilege long ago to read for one of the prizes when I was in college. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And Wang is, is a, is a professor at, uh, I think USC university of Southern California. Um, interest. Yeah, actually she researches race surveillance technology, political economy of prisons and police. So she's also kind of a academic, not just a kind of literary critic academic, but um, sort of a, a different discipline as well as a, a poet. So it's a lot of good stuff here. Totally. And I know she's been working on prison abolition, many other causes as well, but I know that's been kind of a cause for her for quite a while. Um, and I feel like that is a cause that is still kind of farther on the fringes for a lot of folks. And so to have been deeply involved with it for a while is, is pretty telling. And also I'm like fascinated as well to read this book and about this idea of the ways that sort of the material world can just infect your subconscious and then affect how you dream. And I think that that's so intimately tied to really imaginative activism. Like, can you imagine a world without prisons? Are there prisons in your dreams? Like, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, what else is, do you unconsciously replicate in your dream world? Uh, that you just sort of take from reality. Uh, and I can't wait to read the, the whole book and sort of see how she teases all of that out. So yeah, a great long list, a great set of finalists. And the winner of the 2021 National Book Award 
Floaters, Poems by Martine Espada from W.W. W. Norton and Company. Um, this is a prize added to a very long list of various prizes, awards, accolades, and <laughs> types of recognition for Martina Spada. Uh, the most significant recent award is that he was the 2018 Ruth Lilly Prize recipient. Um, he's also won the National Hispanic Cultural Center Literary World. He literary. Uh, He's also on the National Hispanic Cultural Center Literary Award, a Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship, a um, whole bunch of other ones. He's been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize back in 2007 for his book, The Republic of Poetry. And he won the American Book Award for Imagine the Angels of Bread in 1996. In addition to all of this, he also spent you know, a whole career we were talking about, <laughs> you know, being a sort of academic outside of being a literary academic. Well, Martina Spada was like a tenant lawyer for many years. Um, and yeah, he has a law degree and does that in addition to all of his poetry writing and essay writing, collection editing, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he comes from, you know, he's been an activist professionally and in his poetry and his father uh, who he thanked in his acceptance speech is also an activist and photographer and his father's photographs have been in his books uh, before and this latest book uh, floaters is about a lot of different stuff um, and we'll talk about that a little bit but I think we're mainly going to focus on the poem that gave the collection its title um have you read much of his stuff connor you know i am actually sad to say that i i haven't at this point i think i've read poems here and there as they've they've kind of come up but um no i mean i i yeah it's it's been something i've been meaning to dive into i mean he has such a um kind of prolific body of work i think his first collection came out in 82 39 years of poetry to dive into <laughs> we can always lament that we haven't read as much or be excited about the opportunity um i know i have not read as much of his stuff as i wish i had i've you know kind of similar i've done here and there maybe i i know i've read collections that he's edited I'm, I may have read a full book of his. I've definitely read a number of poems uh, here and there over the years, for sure. Um, but nowhere near as much as I would like to, nor as much as I am now perhaps inspired to. So absolutely, congrats to the National Book Award for accomplishing their mission of bringing different <laughs> authors to more people. <laughs> Yes, and congrats to Martina Spada. It's it's um, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge prize. I mean, prizes are what they are, but um, yeah, I mean, with someone like Espada, it's like, it's it's clear. Yeah, I don't know. It's like absolutely, um, and. You know, I hope that it, uh, in the same way it's, it's, I think, will do with me. I hope that it 
gets people reading, not just floaters, um, but also looking more into just the really the vast amount of poetry that he's he's put out. Um, and his legacy of activism, because in addition to those nearly four decades of poems, there's also four decades of community organizing and there's the history in his family as well. I mean, his father was a community organizer and activist, so there's a real tradition there. And his father was you know, very involved in the civil rights movement. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of of history and, and weight of history there, some of which comes up throughout the collection floaters. Um, and is, you know, also kind of present in the, in the title poem, which is a pretty stark piece. It's a little bit too long for us to read all of it, but, uh, we'll do, uh, we talked about doing maybe like the first three stanzas in addition to a little epigraph that comes at the beginning. Is that the right word epigraph when it, is that, that's wrong, right? I think it's an epigraph. Yeah. It's an epigraph, right? Yeah, epitaph is when you is the later thing. It's you don't want it to be an epitaph. No, that's, um, and that's, if it's, that's when you're gone. <laughs> and if it's at the beginning of a book, it's an epigram. That's the one that I always. It, it's epigram at the beginning of a book. Yeah. Okay. I think all I know is you want to avoid the epitaph at all costs. Yeah. An epigram is a little poem or clever statement, but an epigraph is a specific kind of epigram, a witty statement that's inscribed somewhere, such as on a building or at the beginning of a chapter or a book. Oh, so, so an epigraph. So, right. So an epigram is a more, so all epigraphs are epigrams, but not all epigrams are epigraphs. Square, rectangle, rectangle, square. And I don't even know where the EpiPen fits in at this point. Look, in the US, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for the healthcare shit. system, am I right? <laughs> Jeez. Only thing you can get for free is an epitaph. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is the US. We're in the epitaph business. Take your epigraphs and your epigrams and, and episcram. <laughs> um, all right. So I mean the point is that there is a a quote at the beginning of the poem from uh that will also be part of this because it hangs over the whole poem and it influences the reason it's called what it's called which is also the title of the collection so it's you know yeah kind of a big deal yeah the way the way um just yeah i think it's helpful to to kind of contextualize before getting into it but um, it's a term used by some border patrol agents. Um, it's, it's very grim. It d- describes, they describe migrants who are drowning, who drown trying to cross over. Um, and so um, they're in the, in the title poem, there's a there was a viral photograph of Oscar and Valeria, um, who is a, a Salvadoran father and daughter who drowned in the Rio Grande. Um, and there was a kind of infamously effed up uh, Facebook group, Border Patrol Facebook group, um, that thought that the photo was faked. Um, anyway, so. Um, 
This is Floaters, uh, the first part of Floaters by Martin Espada. And the first part is the epigraph. Um, and it's an anonymous post from the I'm 1015 Border Patrol Facebook group. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and ask, have y'all ever seen floaters this clean? I'm not trying to be an ass, but I have never seen floaters like this. Could this be another edited photo? We've all seen the Dems and liberal parties do some pretty sick things. Anonymous post, I'm 1015. Border Patrol Facebook group. Like a beer bottle thrown into the river by a boy too drunk to cry. Like the shard of a styrofoam cup drained of coffee brown as the river. Like the plank of a fishing boat broken in half by the river, the dead float. And the dead have a name, floaters, say the men of the border patrol, keeping watch all night by the river, hearts pumping coffee as they say the word floaters, soft as a bubble, hard as a shoe, as it nudges the body to see if it breathes, to see if it moans, to see if it sits up and speaks. And the dead have names, a feast day parade of names, names that dress all in red, names that twirl skirts, names that blow whistles, names that shake rattles, names that sing in praise of the saints. Say Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez, say Angie Valeria Martinez Avalos. See how they rise off the tongue the calling of bird to bird somewhere in the trees above our heads, trilling in the dark heart of the leaves. Say what we know of them, now they are dead. Oscar slapped dough for pizza with oven blistered fingers. Daughter Valeria sang, banging a toy guitar. He slipped free of the apron he wore in the blast of the oven, sold the motorcycle he would kick till it sputtered to life, counted off pesos for the journey across the river and the last of his 25 years and the last of her 23 months. There is another name that beats its wings in the heart of the trees say Tanya Vanessa Avalos, Oscar's wife and Valeria's mother, the witness stumbling along the river. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the poem continues for four more stanzas. Um, and yeah, kind of, expounds on on the scene that it that it's set up yeah it's i mean it's a very i don't know the word that keeps coming to mind is just stark the whole i mean obviously like the 
the scene of the photo is stark and horrific and the way that the anonymous post obviously does all of this dehumanizing to the point of like well it's not even real and did the democrats i guess plant bodies in the river or something um like it, it's not just dehumanizing but it also on some level can't even accept reality and so it's erasing every aspect of personhood at that point it's like well you're dehumanized but then also like you don't exist as a person to consider and the immediate intense humanizing that this poem does obviously it continues but i think these first three stanzas really resurrect the humanity that was so like violently taken away in the facebook group post like that the there's a lot of different ways it's doing that <clears throat> obviously you know a lot of imagery about rising is in in these lines in addition to many more notable formal things that are going on but just particularly hearing it aloud the 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 times that rising and you know mentions of birds and upward movement uh that's on one hand probably a bit of an allusion to the the fact of floating to the top of the river but it also felt like it was sort of rising up the personhood as well yeah absolutely um no i mean it it yeah, the, the poem is already doing so much in these three stanzas. Um, and, you know, it's, it's taking, you know, there's so many like kind of layers or dimensions or angles or um, vantages or uh, lenses or, you know, whatever kind of way of thinking about it, like, you know, on, on, you know, by, by the end of the three of the third stanza, the kind of kernel is of course, you know, this is a father and daughter and a wife and mother, um, just like three people and two who have drowned trying to uh, across the Rio Grande and just like their, their journey and their lives. Um, and then of course, like there's like any number of ways of, of zooming out that Espada is addressing. It's like, um, right. I mean, it, it's, there's the, of course, yeah, as, as you were saying, the, the dehumanizing and erasure from the border patrol agents who are also individuals, and yet they're, they're kind of individuals in, in the system that is designed to um, dehumanize and eliminate um, people crossing the border. Um, 
and there's the whole kind of yeah like immigration system um <laughs> that kind of creates the conditions um and then the larger geopolitical system that creates the conditions where you know people in el salvador uh like need to leave and they uh often go to the united states um and often the united states is responsible for at least some and if if not many of the very conditions um that create those circumstances um and so there's kind of all these different layers and then there's sort of there's sort of the the other like uh you know these are not just individuals these are also you know these are people of of a people um you know the like the way that second stanza kind of rattles off you know the dead have names a feast day parade of names that dress all in red names that twirl skirts and the way the names like oscar alberto martinez ramirez see how they rise off the tongue there's a kind of um a collective uh, like by the third stanza we get to these individuals in the second stanza a spot is kind of establishing them as part of a people or a peoples. Um, and that's also, and, you know, specifically one full of life. Um, and that's also very essential. Um, and yeah. And I think, I think, as always, when you're reading it aloud, it just hits in a different way. Um, it really does. Yeah. The way that it it's going and going and then it kind of get and it's like in the third stanza, it's like there is another name. Um, you know, say Tanya, Vanessa, Avalos, Oscar's wife and Valeria's mother, the witness stumbling along the river, um, which, of course, it's like the photograph uh, was taken by somebody, you know, and there was like a witness to the drowning. And that, of course, uh, both is that individual just like devastation and tragedy suffered by that family, but also this connection between the dead and the living and this and, and the witness and the witnessed, um, which which Espada in some way is also playing a kind of witnessing role um though not in the same way as um as you know Angie valeria martinez avalos was um so but just the way that it it kind of right it, it starts from the most dehumanized name for the dead right um in a facebook post the least poetic worst despicable um and it ends with not the poem <laughs> but by the third stanza there's you've moved from that to 
a, the living witness family member um, of the dead. And I just think that that movement from A to B is just like, especially when you read it aloud, just um, very devastating and powerful. It is. And something that I really noticed hearing it aloud is the way that for the first three lines, there's this like search for something to compare the bodies to basically. And all of the comparison points are inanimate objects and they're given maybe a backstory, you know, the beer bottle thrown into the river by a boy too drunk to cry. So it's not just a beer bottle. It's a beer bottle with a history, but even then in the end, it's still a beer bottle. It's still an object. And there's all of these kind of tries at, oh, it's a styrofoam cup, fishing boat broken in half, the dead float. And the dead have a name, floaters. And so you get this, coming after the Facebook post, you get this sort of move into how did that name come about almost? Like, how did that name get invented? Well, it's a group of people who are already looking at this through such dehumanized lenses that they're anything that floats, even these bodies. Because you could very easily, I think, put the name floater on a beer bottle or a styrofoam cup or a fishing boat. Like, that's a more appropriate thing to call a floater. But this is the name that has landed on the dead but just hearing it aloud on the page it's easier to read that kind of repetition more quickly and even when read aloud even if it is read more like quickly than other parts of the poem would be it still takes up more space in the delivery and it hits a lot harder i think aloud than on the page and it's all part of exactly that movement you're describing of going like starting with that hostile Facebook post and moving you into the humanity. And I think that does give this poem extra power because it doesn't just begin with the humanity. It moves you to it so that you are forced to sit with the dehumanizing stuff even longer. And I think, you know, maybe a little bit extra textual because we know that Espada is an incredibly accomplished poet with a long history, but that to me feels like a very confident writerly move to think, you know, I can let the reader sit with this longer. I don't need to immediately jump in as the poet and say like, this is wrong. Even if you're not stating it that forcefully, show why it's wrong by immediately going into the what is in this poem the uh the second stanza because i think that could still be very effective and it would be but it would just feel so different if you immediately jumped in with that responding to the facebook post as opposed to taking the time to kind of unpack the post and the you know really repugnant aspects of it a little bit and force your reader to sit with it before getting to the kind of kernel that you, I think would know is coming. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
yeah, I really agree with all that. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a powerful opening too, as you were saying with the three similes kind of back to back to back um, before you even know, like, like the dead float, that's the sentence that like everything else is a, like a, a modifying clause or a, you know, um, something that's dependent on the dead float. Like that's the sentence. Um, but this opening has three long similes, you know, each that basically take up a whole line, like a beer bottle thrown into the river by a boy too drunk to cry, like the shard of a styrofoam cup drained of coffee brown as the river like the plank of a fishing boat broken in half by the river, the dead float. Um, so it's, it's a very kind of, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very kind of stark and masterful sort of sentence construction opening for the poem. Um, and, and that's part of what makes it feel longer too, right? Like it's, it's this seemingly never ending sentence from one simile to the next, like you, you're being strung along and, and that translates to reading aloud, I think as well, that you're kind of, you're reading the syntax. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, this is not anything novel, but immigration and migration have been uh, part of the American um, structure for a very long time. Um, and, you know, it's, it's obviously gotten more uh, heightened in an ugly way since, since Trump. Uh, one example from, you know, that there's rare moments when, um, a kind of the, the language used in the mainstream kind of media outlets or whatever is kind of commented on in a way that approaches a sort of literary analysis. And one critique, you know, um, of that is, is how, right, like you'll often read like um, a flood of migrants or a, a surge or, a, you know, these, these kinds of words that make people <laughs> traveling to a new place to live a better life sounding like themselves are in a natural disaster or something um, like this language of using floods or surges or crises or things like that. Um, and I, I think that while the, you know, the, the border patrol uh, rhetoric and approach is certainly the most grotesque. Um, there is not, to say the least, not the best engagement with it, uh, with the quote Dems. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and we don't have to get into that, but um, I just, I- it, Obama was called the deporter in chief by yes. activist groups with pretty good cause because he deported a lot of people. Yeah, and Biden is really trying to give him a run for his money. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's just, well, I mean, it's appalling to say the least, but I think this poetry is important. Um, yeah. And it is important in so many ways. And, and one of them is that it does sort of the work of poetry that poetry always does in that it's it's really bringing such soul and kind of like interior depth to experience an individual experience. Um, and at the same time, it's doing so in a way that is, is layered and framed in such an astute and clear-eyed, you know, social and political analysis, um, which I think it's clear that Espada's uh, both lineage of, of organizing and, you know, his own activist work kind of comes to bear uh, with, with in, into his poetry in that way. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it, it makes, it makes this kind of work particularly uh, vital and important, you know, right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting, as you're saying, I mean, this is not a new issue, obviously. Um, and this, the, this poem opening with the Facebook post does kind of anchor it in our contemporary, not just because it's a reference to Facebook, but because it, by doing that, it's also a reference to this particular kind of culture online and within law enforcement. Um, because, I mean, you know how I have my Bruce Springsteen situation, my, <laughs> my ongoing Bruce Springsteen situation, but quite literally, you? me oh. of all people no um but like he literally wrote a song that came out on his 2005 album devils and dust called matamoros banks and in talking about the song and what the song is about he says basically i traced the journey from going from the body at the bottom of the river back to the person on the banks who's hoping for like safe transit to another life in a new country so many people die each year just to get into our country and to do the roughest jobs that we have. Uh, they die in the rivers, they die smothered in the back of trucks, they die in the deserts, uh, and they freeze in the mountains. And uh, we need nothing more right now than a humane immigration policy. Well, this is a song called Matamoris Banks. In it, I write the song backwards. I start from a man who's died watching his body at the bottom of the river to the journey across the desert to arriving on the banks of the river right before he jumps in. Like he literally wrote this story, not specifically about these real people, but about a person going through this. And the the beginning of the fourth stanza that we didn't read is he swam from Matamoros across to Brownsville. The girl slung around his neck, like literally in the Bruce Springsteen song, he talks about being on the banks, you know, meet me on the Matamoros banks is the refrain, but it also mentions Brownsville like it's literally it's a version of this story from 
you know, 14, 15 years ago. And that is another kind of artistic indictment of the inability to be an effectively welcoming country. But yeah, I was just struck in reading this poem. I was like, wait a minute, is this as spot on as I thought it was? And I went and listened to the song and I was like, oh my God, you know. Spada and the Bruce. Perhaps Martina Spada, the boss of poetry. Certainly he is right now. National Book Award. That doesn't make you the boss of poetry. I don't know what does. Nope. Sorry, Luis Glick. You won the Nobel last year. (laughs) Old news. Old news. Should we read it again? Let's hear it again. All right. This is from Floaters by Martin Espada. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and ask, have y'all ever seen Floaters this clean? I'm not trying to be an ass, but I have never seen Floaters like this. Could this be another edited photo? We've all seen the Dems and liberal parties do some pretty sick things. Anonymous post, I'm 1015, Border Patrol Facebook group. Like a beer bottle thrown into the river by a boy too drunk to cry. Like the shard of a styrofoam cup drained of coffee brown as the river like the plank of a fishing boat broken in half by the river, the dead float. And the dead have a name, floaters, say the men of the border patrol, keeping watch all night by the river, hearts pumping coffee as they say the word floaters, soft as a bubble, hard as a shoe, as it nudges the body, to see if it breathes, to see if it moans, to see if it sits up and speaks. And the dead have names, a feast day parade of names, names that dress all in red, names that twirl skirts, names that blow whistles, names that shake rattles, names that sing in praise of the saints. Say Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez. Say Angie Valeria Martinez Avalos. See how they rise off the tongue, the calling of bird to bird somewhere in the trees above our heads, trilling in the dark heart of the leaves. Say what we know of them, now they are dead. Oscar slapped dough for pizza, with oven-blistered fingers. Daughter Valeria sang, banging a toy guitar. He slipped free of the apron he wore in the blast of the oven, sold the motorcycle he would kick till it sputtered to life, counted off pesos for the journey across the river, and the last of his 25 years, and the last of her 23 months. There is another name that beats its wings in the heart of the trees. Say Tanya Vanessa Avalos, Oscar's wife and Valeria's mother, the witness stumbling along the river.
All right. This has been our special episode, mostly about floaters and Martina Spada, uh, but also a little bit about the National Book Awards 2021. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know, because we did this for uh, the Pulitzers when Natalie Diaz won the Pulitzer and got some really lovely feedback from that. So that's part of why we're doing this for the National Book Awards. Um, Obviously, our usual format of read a poem, talk about a poem and read the poem again. We'll be back in our next episode. Um, But yeah, let us know if you want us to do more of this kind of stuff as well. Subscribe, leave a rating or review. Leave a rating or review. Yeah. Five stars, please. But yeah, that's going to do it for this extra episode of Close Talking. And we will catch you next time. See ya. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter-Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time. <laughs>